Or no, there we go. There's a line in the movie Gettysburg, and the generals are sitting around talking. It's around the campfires before the big battle, you know, and they're just talking army stuff and talking about life and southern life and all that. And a, a man, a tenor, is singing in the background. And so finally, one of the general pauses and says, that boy can sure sing. That boy can sure sing. Thank you, brother, very, very much. All right, well, easy to, it, they ain't, Terry, it's easy to follow that when you're going to talk about Jesus. Amen. You know, it ain't the speaker, it's the message. And so, you know, I, I was sitting there thinking about, I said, now, this is kind of one of those scriptures I like to just jump in and start because the first verse is kind of the introduction, but that, that's not what you're supposed to do. So, so we'll kind of come up with the introduction here. But I was thinking back two weeks ago, and if you remember right, we talked about how that Jesus had to get in a boat because the crowd pressed him up against the shoreline. And we talked about his message was so fresh. His, um, his message was so new. His heart was so compassionate. So unlike the religious leaders that people just naturally flocked to him. And then this morning, as we talked about, you know, in the great confession, the, the question that Jesus asked was, what are people saying about me? What would people say? Kind of one of the guys to share in a poll setting, you know, I mean, well, some say you're like John the Baptist and some Elijah and some Jeremiah and, and some uh, uh, Elias and one of the other prophets, you know. That's, that's what people are saying about you. People always had a lot to say about Jesus. And that's, that's where we are. We find ourselves in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 40. There's always a crowd waiting to hear about Jesus. And I'm telling you what, it may be old-fashioned. I don't know. Unfortunately, I'm a long way in this gig, so it probably doesn't matter. But I still think Jesus can gather a crowd. I still think we can, we can attempt to gather crowds with, with good, good worship and good entertainment and good buildings and good programs and all those things. But I still believe the faithful preaching of the gospel and the application of the Word of God still draws people searching and looking. Would you say amen to that? I think it's true. And so in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 40, it's a setup for a great story that we don't often preach. Um, in fact, I can't tell you if I've, I've probably preached it sometime in 17 years. Uh, I don't know, probably have. But in Luke chapter 8, verse number 40, the Bible says, Now when Jesus returned, and he had, he had been up in Capernaum in that area, and he had cast out, you remember the story about the demon-possessed man in the graveyard? And he's running around naked, cutting himself and screaming and hollering. And Jesus delivers him. And he says, now I want you to stay here. Because he said, I want to go with you, Jesus. I want to go with you. He said, no, no, no. You need to stay here and tell your family and friends what God has done for you. That's what you need to do. You need to stay here. So he's coming back from that. Just, just tag it in there somewhere in your mind. He's coming back from an unclean situation. Just kind of file that away right there for just a thought or two down the road. Now, when Jesus returned, look what happens. The crowd welcomed him. The crowd welcomed him. Again, they didn't fully understand man who he was. They couldn't get their arms up. They didn't always, they didn't always agree and they certainly didn't always understand. Some of the things he said were just way beyond them and they didn't fully understand. They didn't grasp it all the time, but they just loved this man because of his heart and again the freshness of his message. And they were all, the Bible says, waiting for him. In fact, you're going to hear tonight, especially there were two people particularly waiting for him. 
Now, the tagline tonight, if you want to call it that, are, is something going to be something like this. They were waiting for Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. They were waiting for Jesus to do for what only Jesus could do. See, that's what sets him apart. That's what, that's what I'm trying to tell you. As long as the church thinks it can come up with a solution, then Jesus is not the solution. And people are longing for something that is bigger than a group of three or four or five or 10,000 people to do something. They are looking for something that is greater than that. And that something is someone when he shows up through the Holy Spirit and does what only he can do. Here's how the story goes, verse 41. So there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. Now that means several things. Um, he was kind of the manager of the local synagogue. Um, one commentary said he probably also served as the custodian of that building. He would clean that building. But understand, it was a position of great respect and great authority. So when it says he was the ruler of the synagogue, don't think a lowly person. Think a person of prestige. In fact, probably semi-wealthy. I mean, he had access to a great deal of funds. And when he walked in the community, he was a respected man of the, of the community. But he's coming to see Jesus because he... Now, listen, listen. He's got a problem that money can't fix. He's got a problem that prestige can't fix. He's got a problem that authority can't fix. And that's like our society. See, Americans have, well, I was going to say they have more money. They really don't. They got more credit. You know, we won't go into what the average credit card debt is, something like $17,000 uh, per family in America. Credit card debt, unsecured debt. So, so Americans have access to credit or to money. But they're finding out, they're finding out that, that money can't fix what's broken in them. They're, they're, they're learning still, they're craving for something that will fix what materialism cannot fix. People understand there's something, a lot of people understand there's something missing in their lives. Well, Jairus had a problem that all his prestige and all his authority and all his power and what wealth he had could not fix. And the Bible says this, and, fell, and he fell down at the feet of Jesus. Now notice, by the way, you'll go here a couple times, all of a sudden all that prestige and all that stuff about respect didn't matter because the problem demanded humility. So, so forget the fact he could have walked up and said, all right, Jesus, here's what I want you to know. I'm the local synagogue ruler and I'm going to talk to you. No, no, he is broken because his problem has broken him. So he has a, money that, a problem that money can't fix, and he has a broken heart. And here's why. He implored him, he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years old. So he has one child, one child. It happens to be a daughter, and she is very critically ill. And he begs Jesus to come to his house house because she was dying. What do you do when your 12-year-old daughter's dying? What do you do when your six-month-old baby is dying? What do you do when, we heard the story of those two young men 
Uh, one, one young boy, you know, eight or nine, ten years old, with a very, very, very serious eye infection. Not only just the danger of the eye, but generally in health. What do you do with that? What do you do when you're playing and a horse kicks your son in the head and they're not sure how extensive the damage is? You know, Judy was playing something. She, she came in. I was finishing study last night. It was about 10 o'clock. And she comes in with her iPad, and she's playing different podcasts, I think looking for something to teach the class. And, and I'm hearing this story. I'm studying, but I, y'all didn't know I could do things at one time. And so I'm, I'm hearing this in one ear, and I'm trying to study in the other ear. And apparently a couple had a baby, and the wife left the baby unattended, and the baby drowned. And they're talking about, what do you do with that? How do you not end up in divorce court when something like that happens in your life? And then I said, thanks for bringing that sad story in. And she said, what sad story? I said, about the kid. She goes, I was asleep. <laughs> I said, well, thank you. I wasn't. So what do you do when there's a crisis like that? You go, listen, you turn to the man who can do what only he can do. And now see, are you, I know you all get tired of this. That's not the church. The church may be a place you can go hear about the man who can do what only he can do. It may be a place where you'll find healing and, and, and consolation in, in, your, in your friends or the people you'll meet there. But there, you go to the person, you go to the one who can do something about it. You go to the one who can make a difference in an otherwise hopeless situation. She was dying. And the Bible simply says without fanfare, in verse number 42, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So here is the one person that was waiting for Jesus that particularly was waiting and welcomed him was this father of a 12-year-old daughter who is dying and he says, please come to my house. My daughter's dying. And Jesus goes. That's just what Jesus did. Jesus did not heal every person. Jesus did not respond to every request. But he responded to this one. And then in verse number 43, the Bible says this. And now, new story, there was a woman. Now, unlike Jairus, who we know, he knows occupation, we know who he was, this is just simply a woman. Certainly, probably a very common woman, most certainly did not have access to great funds. In fact, whatever she had, she spent. In fact, we're going to hear about that in just a moment. So, there's a woman who had a discharge of blood for how long? Twelve years. To help you put it in perspective, when Jairus' daughter, Blair, was born... She started bleeding. So as long as Jairus' daughter, 12, as long as he's had a daughter 12 years of joy, she's had 12 years of misery. And with that came weakness, anemia, a loss of blood, anemia, weakness. With that comes shame because she's an outcast. She's, not, she's unclean, so she's not allowed into the synagogue, which I find very interesting that the guy who probably said, you're not welcome here, is the guy who's trying to get Jesus to go to his house and heal the daughter. How interesting is that? So here this woman comes, 12 years of misery, and she had spent all her living on physicians, and she could not be healed by anyone. She had spent all her living, every physician, and no one could heal her. She needed someone who could do something different. She needed Jesus who could only do what Jesus could do. Are you following that? 
She needed Jesus to do what only Jesus could do. And that's our culture. That's our society. People are looking for a Savior who can do what only a Savior can do. They're looking for a Redeemer who can only do what a Redeemer can do. They're looking for for a, a Rescuer who can only do what a Rescuer can do. So we got to give them the real deal. we got to give them Jesus. So for 12 years, she's been all her living, and no one could heal her. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, you do understand that there's no power in the cloth. Later on in the book of Acts, when they talk about handkerchiefs and, and people who had the handkerchiefs were healed, there's no power in the handkerchief. There was no power in touching the garment. It would be like, oh no, we've got to find the garment that Jesus wore so people can be healed. No, 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 no. It was faith in the one wearing the garment. And her faith was so strong, she said this. Now, her faith was not strong in the garment. Her faith was strong in the one in the garment. And her faith was so strong that she said, if I can just touch the hem of His garment, if I can just touch the fringe of His garment... I will be healed. That's faith. That's faith. Again, faith in the man in the garment. And immediately, the Bible says, immediately her discharge of blood ceased. (laughs) What, What doctors for 12 years could not do, the one who could do what only he could do, did it like that. That's the power of Christ. When Jesus chooses to do what only Jesus can do, lives are changed, marriages are saved, bodies are healed. Countries are changed. Cultures are changed. See, that's why Annie Armstrong is important. Let me give you a little reminder in case you forgot. You live in the fourth largest lost nation in the world. What that means is there are three nations ahead of us with more lost people. We are the fourth largest lost nation nation in the world. Something to think about. We need for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. And that's save our nation. Well, in verse 45, Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? Now, are, are you familiar with... Is the picture there? The Bible, don't forget, the Bible says that, that they pressed in. As, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So imagine, if you will, I have a vivid picture. Let me give you a vivid picture. Um, and the first trip, trip to Uganda, me and another lady went to a school to, to tell a Bible story. And if you can imagine this, we were swarmed literally by 600 children. We got out of the vehicle and instantly 600 people went just like that. Well, there's probably not 600 here, but these people pressed in upon Jesus. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to touch him. And the Bible says, who was it that touched me? Because, you see, Jesus not only did what Jesus could do, Jesus knew things that no one else knew. That's why it was a logical question. You know, it was, if, here, Peter, yeah, Peter gets a cameo appearance in our message tonight because we're talking about Peter this, these next five or six weeks. You know, he gets a cameo appearance. Look at verse, you know, verse 45. When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. He kind of laughs it off. He says, what do you mean who touched you? 
I mean, you've got people swarming everywhere. There's a lot of people touching you. But see, Jesus knew that someone touched him in faith. Someone touched him believing and was healed. And Jesus knew that because Jesus could only do things that only Jesus could do. And so, after Peter says this, Jesus says, I felt someone touch me, and I perceived that power has gone out of me. It was the touch of faith. It was a touch believing that Jesus could do what only Jesus could do. And she believed that, and instantly she was healed. Well, look at verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden... Or words, she was about to be caught. She came trembling and she fell down before him. So again, imagine, if you will, this crowd of mostly men, a few women perhaps, a sprinkling of, of children, and this woman comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus. And I love how Luke put this. Because I really think, I, I wrote down my little notes here, don't miss this, arrow, arrow, arrow. Don't miss this. She came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. Talk about coming clean. No pun intended. How incredible. Now understand, the woman has a bleeding issue. She's been unclean for 12 years. She was not welcome in a synagogue. She was not welcome to talk to any rabbi. She was not welcome in certain social circles because of her uncleanliness. And she declares before the people, she declares in the presence of all the people why she touched him. It might have been an AA meeting. Hi, my, my name is Susie and I bleed. And for 12 years I've been unclean. And I know many of you don't know me because I've not been in synagogue because I've been unclean. I'm not welcome there. I know I live on the outskirts of town because I'm unclean. And many of you would not associate with me. I know many of you do not know me because I had a problem that disassociated me with people. She declares that before the people. Talk about a testimony service. That's quite a testimony service. She, she says, this is why I touched him. And by the way, women didn't touch men. That's another issue. Not only was she unclean, she touched a man. And believe me, it's true in Africa today, among Muslim cultures, you don't shake hands with a man. If you're a woman, you don't, or excuse me, if you're a man, you don't touch, touch, shake hands with a woman. You just don't do it. And certainly women don't do it with men. But look, what else she shared. Here's why I touched him, and this is what he did. How she had immediately been healed. How Jesus did what only Jesus could do. She declared her uncleanliness, then declared the miracle that Jesus had done for her. Don't we need to do that? Don't we need to do that? Now, you do understand you are the miracle. You do understand that. You don't have to have leprosy and one of your legs gone and it grow back to declare a miracle. The miracle is you're saved tonight. 
In fact, let's just, you want a miracle? You said it this morning. You are dead. You are dead in trespasses and sin. And the miracle is that the Holy Spirit whispered in your ear and drew you to the Son, and you believed in the Son, and the Son died for you and resurrected for you, and, and that He forgave your sins, and He made you part of God's family, and you get to follow Him the rest of your life. You are the miracle. Amen. Yeah, come on. Y'all acting like a Sunday night crowd. This is so powerful. This is, this is, this is what it was. And this is what he did. And what he did was what only he could do. And when Jesus does what only Jesus can do, lives are changed, communities are changed, cultures are changed, nations are changed, even the world can be changed. When Jesus does what only Jesus can do. So in verse 48, So he said to her, Daughter, your faith, not in the garment, in the man in the garment, your faith in me has made you well. Now go in peace. How about that? Your faith, 12 years. 12 long years of misery. <laughs> Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace. What a life changer. She probably went, the first thing she did after Jairus got done, said, I'd like to roll in Sunday school. I want to get back in church. I want to get back in society. He wanted to have a tea and have the ladies over. Because she was clean. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. He cleans us up. Yeah. Cleans us up. And then we go, yay! <laughs> and then we go, oh yeah. Because the story's not over. You remember what was going on before all this happened? A man, a man came and said... My only child, my daughter of 12 years, is dying. Please come to my house. And she's still dying. And this was a costly detour, so it would seem. So, verse 49, while he was still speaking, in other words, while he was saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he's saying those very words, the Bible says, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. How devastating. Your daughter is dead. Now, Jairus, as a God follower, had mustered somehow the faith to believe that Jesus, this man, that, that could only do what he could do, this man would, could somehow do something for his daughter. Again, he didn't understand it. All he knew is he had seen Jesus do this, this, and this. He said, I'm sure Jesus can do something here. And then the word comes. Your daughter's dead. A little late, Jesus. Just a little late. Not four days this time. That delay, it may have worked out good for her, and I'm glad it worked out good for her, but where does that leave me, Jairus could say. Well, you just didn't know the end of the story. Because Jesus is going to do what only Jesus can do. He's not done yet. He said, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Look at verse 50. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. Now, Jairus is faced with a dilemma. Who's he going to believe? 
There is a guy who came running from his house, probably a servant, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't worry with Jesus. It's too late. Is he going to believe that? A trusted servant? Or some radical rabbi that he really doesn't know much about? Or is he going to believe this radical rabbi who says, no, 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 do not fear, only believe, and all will be well. What are you going to do? Well, this all started with him waiting for Jesus because Jesus was the man who could do only what Jesus could do. And he went with the one who, who brought him. He decided to dance with the one who brought him. He stuck with Jesus. The Bible says in verse 51, So when he came to the house, this is Jesus, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. I told you, Peter makes a cameo appearance here. He, he says something out of, out of context, out of character when he says, Jesus, of course people are pressing you. Someone's touching you. The crowd's pressing you. Peter was good at that. But here, he's in the inner circle. He's one of those three. And you know what? And this is just something I, it still amazes me, and I just have to mention it, is, you know, we understand Peter. You know, Peter became the, the, the preacher on Pentecost. Thousands were saved. He became one of the rocks of the church, if you will. One of the, 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 the rocks of the, of the church. I mean, one of the pillars. We got that part. And John, John wrote the Gospel of John, and, and he was out, exiled and, you know, for, for, until he's 90 years old. The only one who wasn't martyred. He died a natural death. But he served Jesus all those years. But then there's James. What is James doing in the inner circle? I mean, he's the brother of John. But why is he there? Why did Jesus choose him? This is one for you to think of while you're in the Holy Land. Why did Jesus choose to pick James and pour so much extra juice in him when by Acts 12 he's going to be dead? Why? Peter was going to live a long life, eventually be crucified, but he made such an impact, and John made a huge impact, and James is going to die by Acts 12. You know, Herod's going to kill him, cut his head off, just for the fun of it. And Jesus knew that. Aren't you glad that Jesus pours into people's lives, either for a short time or a long time, whether as a failure, some people see, or success, it doesn't matter. He still pours in the lives of people. He still does what only Jesus can do. I think it's pretty cool. So he invites Peter, James, and John into the building. And in verse 52, and all of them were weeping and mourning. Now let me set this up for you just a little bit. Whenever the person died, almost immediately the mourning rites would begin. There were those who loved the child and loved the family, and then if that wasn't quite enough, they would go out and hire professional mourners. So we got both this going on. We've got people who love this girl, who loves this family, friends of the family, and they're mourning and they're wailing, and then you've got some folks down from rent a mourner, and, and they've gone down and rented some mourners, and they're mourning and they're they're crying too. All that is going on when Jesus walks into the house. And the Bible says, He said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but she's sleeping. Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. That's what happens when the death arrester shows up. 
Remember the song this morning? Good song. He stops the power of death. And that's something only Jesus can do. And when Jesus decides to do what only Jesus can do, dead people can get up. Now, I don't know why it doesn't happen today. I wonder if it happens sometimes in, in the darkest parts of the world. But it's true that Jesus could make dead people live again. How amazing is that? You know, it used to say the saying, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. Even in death, it's not over till Jesus is done. In this case, the girl had died only hours before. In the case of Lazarus, he was four days dead, but he still resurrected both. And I tell you what, one day if Jesus Christ does not come back and we are all dead, if the rapture doesn't occur, he's going to be able to take every molecule and put us back together and resurrect us with a brand new glorified body. That's the power of Christ. That's what happens when the death arrester shows up. It ain't over till he's done. And this story's not over until Jesus has done what only Jesus can do. I hope you'll take that home tonight. Your life is not done till Jesus has done what Jesus is going to do. Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And you know, I, I asked myself this question. I wrote this down. Is death really death if Jesus is involved? Is death really death? Not in the sense of the world. You know, Paul said, We do not grieve like men with no hope because we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. He changes the very definition of death. Well, I don't know if it was the family, and I don't know if it was the professional mourners. But in verse 53, And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Probably the professional mourners, but we don't know that. Now, isn't that a strange emotion? Again, let's go through the scenario one more time. You know, they show up. The girl's been dead several hours. Already the family's mourning. They've got the renter mourners here, and they're mourning. And Jesus walks in and says, hey, you know, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they laugh. How strange of emotion is that? And once again, Jairus has to believe. Does he believe the laughter of the crowd and says, well, this is ridiculous. If, you know, they're saying, look, we've seen dead girls before and this one's dead. And Jesus said she's not dead. Are you going to, Jairus, are you going to believe the, the laughing crowd that says, trust me, she's dead? Are you going to believe what Jesus says? She's not dead. Hmm. He goes with Jesus again. He could have stopped the whole show, but he did not. 54. He takes, he, Jesus, takes her by the hand and he called saying, Child, arise. I don't, I, I come to think of weird things. I was thinking about, you know, this is the guy if someone touched a dead body, he would be saying, don't touch a dead body, don't touch it, you know the rules, don't break the rules. You don't hear the daddy saying that. Never a word because the hand he's touching is the hand of his daughter. And Jesus says, child, arise. 
And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. The only sound in the room were the jaws of the laughing crowd hitting the ground. Because Jesus did what only Jesus can do. And when the death arrester shows up and does what only he can do, things change. Dare I say, the funeral is over. Amen. He said, he directed to them in verse 55, that something should be given her to eat. I think this is a twofold thing. Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected? Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected and they were saying, oh, we don't know, he might be a ghost. What do you think? Is he a ghost or is he real? You know, is he a memorex or is he real? Is he, is he a ghost or is he real? And Jesus said, you got something to eat. And they gave him some honeycomb and broiled fish. And he ate. You know, dead people don't eat. Spirits don't eat. So I think part of the thing that Jesus is saying is, hey, she's really alive. Bill, she's really alive. I think also, you know, dying is hard work. She probably needs some strength. Amen? So give her some strength. Give her, give her some proof. Give us some proof that she's really alive. And her parents were amazed. You know, people are amazed when Jesus does what only Jesus can do. They're not too amazed at the church. They're not too amazed at preachers and, and a lot of us. But they are amazed when Jesus does what only Jesus can do. And they were amazed. And he told them, and he charged them, no, don't tell anybody what's happened. And the reason why is this was kingdom stuff. This was king stuff. This is, this is the kind of thing that happened that could cause him to come and take him by force and make him king. And the time wasn't right. Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. He came to be a heavenly king. But most and foremost, he came to die for us. And it was important that nothing hindered that from happening. So, the bottom line is this. Does anybody here know what tomorrow holds? Does anybody here know what tomorrow holds? No, we don't, do we? That's why we need to trust the one who can show up and do what only he can do. Whether it be stopping the power of death, giving us courage to share our faith, faith to believe that everything's going to be okay one way or the other. It may be in eternity, but it's going to be okay that he's in control, that he's in charge and Satan's not. That's why it's important we leave here with a thought that's not over until Jesus is done doing what Jesus is going to do. Let's pray together. Father, help us to have that kind of faith. Help us to believe that. We confess... And I think it's right that we don't know what you're going to do. Some, a lot of the times we don't know. You just call us to believe and then trust you that you're going to do the right thing. You, you never make a wrong decision. You never make a wrong decision. You always are right in everything that you do. So give us the faith of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, believing in the guy who wore the garment and was healed. Give us the faith to believe that when the, when 
the crowd, the neighbor came, the servant came and said she's dead to trust Jesus. And when you were, they were laughing at you and Jairus chose to believe, give us that kind of faith. And let us carry that faith into our world and our tomorrow as you give us time and place. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.